to the word of the Lord here now that I've had fun welcoming everybody. Um, I have been on this series about a biblical approach to mental health, and it is, it's, it's something that is much needed, and I've spent a lot of time talking about how oftentimes the church world is at odds and in tension with the mental health community, and oftentimes they look uh, uh, askance at each other. Um, as, as Christian people, there's this tendency to think that if I, if I was a real Christian or I had a real pastor or I went to a real church, then I wouldn't have mental health issues. Um, and on the flip side, there is an uh, attitude in mental health community that uh, church people, they just, you know, they want you to have an emotional cathartic moment and then pronounce you healed. And uh, the truth is both sides are usually filled with people who are trying to help. Whether it's church people, I know there's plenty of church hurt out there. There's been a lot of errors made in the name of Jesus. Um, but most of them are, even when they do something wrong, they didn't intend to do harm. They weren't malevolent in their heart. Uh, and yet they made the mess worse, do you see? On the other hand, oftentimes uh, the uh, mental health community, um, they, it seems like the only thing they can do to give you help is, is to use drugs as a filter between you and the pain of your life. Why are these two communities so at odds? Well, they have different goals. We've talked about this. I'm just touching it and moving along. Um, the mental health community is trying to help you cope. Uh, and God is trying to make you whole. These are different things. Um, what the mental health community can forget is that oftentimes helping someone cope with their life does not make their life worth living. Sorry for the awkward truth. Uh, sorry, I, I just got to be honest. And what the religious world can forget is God making you whole doesn't always mean you're instantaneously healed. And so we live in this tension, and uh, we're on our, our, our fourth. Um, I was going to try to uh, wrap this up today, but I actually uh, extended it one Sunday, and I'll, you'll hear the end of it next week. Um, but let me just start where we are in the series in this service, and we're going to focus on the last three of six principles that I, that I have given with you. The fourth principle is this, and we'll refer to scripture as we go, but let's get started for time's sake. Fourth, fourth principle that we have to face in our life um, is this. Evil is real, and it must be acknowledged, and it must be rejected. It's not enough to see evil in the world. That's easy. It's not enough to see evil in other people. That's easy. We have to acknowledge that the judgment line of evil cuts through every human heart. And we have to acknowledge that we, being free individuals, by the freedom of choice, can add to the evil of the world. And the only way for God to end the problem of evil is to end all of us. Is because we hold in our hands the right of creator. And as God makes a world, so you and I, with our decisions, with our choices, we make a world. And as the old timers say, first you make a bed and then you lie down in it. 
Evil is real and must be acknowledged and rejected. And while it is easy for all of us, myself included, to see evil in others, what the Bible asks me to do is to live a life of repentance, a life of continual correction in my own mind and in my own heart. Repent, as I have reminded you, uh, was not in its first usage. It was not a religious word. It was a military marching term. It became a religious word because of the manner in which uh, it was used, but in its origin, it was a word of militant usage where in marching to this day, if you go to uh, certain parts of the world that uh, speak uh, certain languages that are close to the inheritance of the Greek, um, you will hear, uh, say, a sergeant at arms or uh, some uh, leader of a column of men uh, march up to a point and shout repent or uh, in their style they would roll their R's which is so much cooler if you roll your R's you know if you're a preacher and you roll your R's you don't have to pray as much it just sounds official you know you say repent see how that was just better right there man this is a tough crowd here today I think Jimmy wore you out and now you got nothing left for me we'll talk about this later <laughs> um, you then turn and you do what? You go the opposite direction. I, hear me, hear me, in order to have a biblical approach to living in my right mind, putting on the mind of Christ, or having a continual spiritual renewal, I have to acknowledge my capacity for evil. I have to reject it as an act of my will. God will not force me to do it. He will let me do evil in his name, and thousands of people have done it. I have to realize I am capable of wrong, and I have to be willing to repent. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who have against Let's try that again because yeah, I'm just I'm just I, I, I'm going to get I want to get louder in here. Okay, you ready? Forgive us our trespasses again. Forgive us our trespasses now unto the Lord. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In Jesus' name, take a praise break right now all across the house. Thank you for mercy in our life, oh God. If I, do, if I do not see my own potential for malignancy, my own potential for malevolence, my own potential to bring harm, then I, uh, I am living a life of self-deception. And the most dangerous lies we live are the lies we tell ourselves. Because when, and we talked about this last week, when you lie to others, you still have a handle on the truth because you have to keep track of the lies you tell so you don't get caught up in your lies later. But when you lie to yourself, you don't have to keep track of truth at all. You can get better and better and better and better at lying to yourself until the prison you live in was built with your own hands. And you can blame the devil for oppressing you, but baby, it's you who locked the cage. And so Jesus comes and he whispers painful truths to us. Yes, painful. And he says, the truth will set you free. The truth 
will set you free. Uh, the great, great writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn, uh, who wrote Ar uh, Gulag Archipelagos, one of the most powerful philosophical works about the problem of human evil that's ever been done, he has a great quote in his book. If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his or her own heart? This is the challenge. So hear me today. Now, I warned you at the beginning of this series, this was not a preacher-friendly series. It wasn't the kind of series that I would expect you to get uh, all blessed in your spirit over. Uh, but let me try to share uh, some things that I think could make all of our lives better if we lived in them. Number one, as long as our hearts and minds can be motivated by hate to harm, lie, or gossip about another person, evil will still exist here on earth and we will still need Calvary's covering in our life. As long as we are willing to choose comfort over justice, evil will exist here on this earth. Evil exists as long as we wish we could have what someone else possesses, possesses. Evil will exist as long as there is an individual who hates their enemies more than they love their children. Evil will continue to exist. But the gospel comes and asks us to first of all see that we are sinners and we need righteous covering. Can I have an amen? The gospel asks you to smite yourself on the chest and say, remember me, oh God, a sinner. We don't need more Pharisee cultures playing righteousness metagames, slipping into the church, looking around who that they're better than. That doesn't help anybody. The, 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 the self-deceived Pharisee shows up and looks around and says, I'm so thankful I'm not like Jeremy. Jeremy's a real sinner. I just, when I feel down, I just look over there and Jer if it wasn't for Megan, Jeremy would have no hope in his life. You see what I'm saying? I cannot live this game where my, stay, my confidence in God comes by my accusation of others. That's Lucifer theology. His job is to accuse the brethren. And he's good at it. He does not need your help. Can I have a big amen? We reject evil while conceiving our own potential, while conceptualizing our own potential, recognizing as long as pride and lust live within me, evil is waiting at the door of my life, trying to be birthed through me. As long as I have pride and lust, I battle the problem of evil. I can blame God if I want to. I can blame the preacher if I want to. I can blame my mom for spanking me too much when I was young. If you had a mom like me, I love you, mom. Uh, she beat me for the cardio, I like to say. 
Uh, no, that's funny. My mom was awesome. She loved me. But you understand what I'm saying? You can find all the reasons, but as long as there is pride and or lust in you, the capacity for evil to be sourced is right within you. Let me read James 4, verse number 1. Uh, where do wars and fights come from among you? Why are crazy people crazy? Why are y'all acting out? Where does it come from? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet. Not getting very many amens right now. I just want you to know I'm disappointed in the amen quality uh, reading James chapter number four. <laughs> you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. There is a value disconnect between your values and heaven's values. And therefore, rather than living in unity with the spirit realm, we live in conflict. And then we wonder why there's these wars and fighting within us. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses. Nobody here, of course. Nobody here. Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that fellowship with the world is enmity with God? God, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself or herself an enemy of God. Do you think the scripture says in vain? The spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. Okay, that's some heavy, heavy preaching. He's not going to leave us down on the bottom with all hope gone. Verse six, but Jesus gives more grace. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What are you trying to say, James? There is something spiritually profound that happens when you humble yourself. Amen. When you get off your theological uh, rocking horse, where you just go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, you get down off that and you say, Lord, I need you in my life. Woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And the angel takes a coal from the fire and touches his lips. And what does he say? Uh, send me. I'll go. There is a profound transformation that happens at the moment of our humbling ourselves before the Lord. Verse 7, still in James. Therefore, submit to God. Somebody say, submit to God. Yes. Smile at your neighbor. Say, this part's for you. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And let the church say amen. The fifth principle. Let me move quickly along here. Uh, because you are a spirit being, you are never really alone. But you will uh, live a lot of days of your life feeling alone. Uh, that is because all of your senses are of the flesh. And you feel things of the spirit not as sensation, but as absence or nearness. You smell, see, feel. You feel warm air, cold air, pain, sorrow. But the spirit, oftentimes, to a mind that is predominantly driven by fleshly things, is first noticed in its absence. 
And if there's not something in your life that awakens you to the absence, it might be that you can spend decades of your life like so much dross because you did not have senses that worked in the manner of your fleshly senses. Hear me when I say you will often feel alone, but because you are a spirit being, you are a bipartite body and spirit, because you are both, you will never be alone. The belief that we are alone, however, invites us to deception and a double life. Why is Eve so willing to talk to the serpent? Because she thinks she's alone. How often is temptation made triply more powerful because we think we're alone. But you're a spirit being, my brother, my sister. You're not ever really alone. Now, some of you right now are saying, oh God, oh God, what have I done recently? <laughs> you feel alone, but you're not alone. Satan's greatest success is when you in some way feel or believe yourself to be isolated from the one who made you. When Adam and Eve fall, what does God do? He shows up with a switch and gives them a proper switching around the head, neck, and shoulder. No, no. He tries to restore what they think is lost. They fail because they, uh, Eve was deceived. Can you imagine the different kind of conversation that would have happened if the serpent would have spoken to Eve? And all this is image of the beginnings of things. And so you have to see it. The Bible teaches with image. And um, if you struggle with symbol, then you're going to have a real problem with theology and seeking spiritual things because that is how the spiritual world is taught through the sacred word, through symbol. Uh, The water is just water until you're baptized in Jesus' name. It's a symbol of something. A a repentance session can seem just like cathartic tears until you're realizing you're pouring your heart out to God, saying, woe is me, I am undone. Forgive me of my sins. Now it becomes powerful. It becomes life-changing. The bread and the wine seem like an odd Passover supper until you hear Jesus say, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Symbols matter. And so Eve, deceived by the serpent, finds this uh, commonality with his words by thinking, okay, let me think of God as competitor and therefore enemy, not as friend and father. And once you think of God as competitor and enemy, now you're in league with Lucifer. And the justifications of the flesh begin to make sense. And you'll start saying absurd things like this. Well, if God's like that, I don't want to serve him. You're thinking of him as oppositional character, competitor, and that is to miss it. And he shows up in your life, but he doesn't show up in anger and justice. He says, Adam, where art thou? Lord, we heard you walking and we hid because we were... I mean, it was all hanging out, Lord. It's embarrassing. I'm humiliated. You wouldn't believe the people who won't come to church because they have put themselves in a state where God can't love them. 
Their life is embarrassing. They've made bad decisions. I'm naked. And what does the Lord say? How did we get here? Who told you? It was my mama. She said I couldn't go out. Like, all right, moving along. <laughs> my mama taught me not to run And so this idea of uh, being, being in some way rejoined to God. And what does the Lord do? He looks at their attempts to cover themselves. And he says, that is really, really bad project management. <laughs> you know nothing about leaves and what's going to happen about five o'clock today. <laughs> and the first sacrificial covering happens, hear me, in the Garden of Eden where God slays one of his creation and takes the skin of that slain animal. The blood as a rolling ahead, the propitiation of sins, takes the garment and slaps it around the naked covering as covered over the naked nakedness of Adam and Eve. The first shedding of blood for sinners happens in answer to the question, who told you you were naked? You will often feel alone, but you won't be alone. You'll feel like no one loves you. It's a lie. You'll feel like there's no connection for you in the church. It's a lie. You feel like there's nobody like you in the church. We got crazy people here too. You'll be welcome. You'll say, no one knows the problem I have. Trust me, your problem might be on the platform. I, get, I have bad attitudes too. I mean, not as much as you do, but... <laughs> You'll feel alone, but you won't be alone. Almost done, almost done. The sixth principle, all truths about yourself will be experienced as emotion, not knowledge. And if you cannot speak back to the emotions that are ruling your inner life, then you will not have utilized the power of truth over feeling. I will often feel like I'm not enough, but God said with his grace, I'm enough. I will often feel like there's no hope for me in Zion, but God said he would never leave me or forsake me. I will feel like no one in this church likes me. Anyway, enough about how Monday morning feels. I will feel like nobody in this church thinks I'm funny. Nobody laughs at my jokes. Nobody likes when I wear dad clothes. Nobody approves of anything. And if I can't speak back to the crazy feelings of my life, eternal truth, then I will always be driven before the storm of being. Yes. Not established as a house built on a rock, surrounded by the storm of being. Emotions that flow all through our life. Ups and downs in your life. Offenses that must come. Mistakes that God will use as testimonies to the future. Am I preaching to the right church here today? God will use those mistakes. Today you're embarrassed. Today you don't even want to be in the house of God because you're embarrassed. But let me tell you, a day will come when there'll be someone else on the pew and they're going to need you to sit down beside them and say, I want you to know if God did it for me, oh, praise God, somebody. If God did it for me, he can do it for you. If God brought me through, he's going to bring you through. There's nothing that you have done except that which is common to man, but he is faithful. I'm, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Um, um, uh, Peter uh, Cazero's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, uh, he points this out in his book. To feel is to be human. 
to minimize or to deny what we feel is a distortion of what it means to be image bearers of God. To the degree that we are unable to express our emotions, we remain impaired in our ability to love God, to love others, and to love ourselves well. Let me say all of that this way. God can handle your negative emotions too. You don't just have to bring him the pretty fixed up version of yourself where you've all dressed up for church on Sunday, you brushed your teeth twice, you made sure there was no coffee stains on your shirt, you slipped into the church house, and here you are the best version of yourself. The truth is you and your wife fought all the way to church. You don't even want to sit by her. I'm almost done, musicians. Come sing a song about fighting with your wife all the way to church. Something about that. Um, you don't even know why you're here. You don't understand what's going on. Am I preaching? Can someone receive this? You, you put on this best version of yourself. Come on, it's good, Pastor. Hallelujah. One of my friends came in the church this morning. I leaned up beside him. This uh, Sister Donna's husband, Tommy. He, I, I walked up beside him. I said, brother, if I'd have known you was going to be here, I'd have studied more. <laughs> we put on the best version of ourselves. And we think, oh, God will like me now. Not only that, the church will accept me now. Church people won't spit at me when I leave. I'm all rightified. That is a, hear me, real quick, this isn't in my notes, but let me throw it in here since I'm in a mood. Um, Everybody knows that um, sociopaths is a real problem. People who, they have no moral compass, they just will adapt themselves to whatever what ethical context they're in. It's, it's a real problem. So a lot of work's been done on this um, by every, everybody from psychotherapists to psychiatrists to sociologists. It's, it's a lot. It's been done in behavioral-based economic research. It's been done in a success of, some, of CEOs relative to, anyway, there's been a lot of work done on this. You know the number one thing that they, researchers say you can do to increase the likelihood, hear me parents, sorry that this is an exciting subject, the number one thing you can do to increase the likelihood that your children will grow up to be a sociopath where they have no moral compass, they only adapt to whatever cultural context they're in, the number one thing you can do, raise them with two different sets of rules. There's the set at home and then there's the pretend set in front of other people. When I read that, I just wanted to get down on my face and say, Lord, I'm going to apologize for all church people. Because if we're not careful, we can act like we pray more than we pray. We can act like we have more faith than we have. We can act like our feet don't touch the ground when we walk. We can act like we don't even have to wear deodorant because we just spoke in tongues all morning. We don't even stink. Baby, you stink. Please put on deodorant for the rest of us. All right. You understand what I'm saying? We can live this fake game. The path, hear me, the path to mental health biblically. We're going to finish this up next week and I'm going to talk about putting on the mind of Christ and 10 things Jesus did. Some of you were already here and you heard it this morning. 10 things Jesus did that we can do 
that will give us a biblical approach to mental health. But I want to say this. Because you often feel alone, but you are never really alone, you're going to have to pursue authenticity with God. Because although your lies and excuses work with us, they don't work with God. He was with you when you did the dumb stuff. Eve, you can blame the devil all you want to. It's like, it's like you know, the covering game, you know. Adam's like, it wasn't me, Lord. It was this woman you gave me. And she was like, it wasn't me. It was the serpent. And as the old timer said, the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. So. I have to take the whole of me to God. I have to take the good and the bad to me. I have to follow David's example. I'm sorry I'm going long. I'm almost done. I have to follow David's example and I have to go like this. I don't quit praying when I'm bad. I bring those feelings into my prayer so God can regenerate me. David doesn't stop worshiping God when he's depressed. He just writes a depressing song. And you'll notice how the depressing songs end. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Think I'll go eat worms. And then there's a shift. And David says, but thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'm going to rest in the house of the Lord forever. You'll feel alone. You're never really alone. Quick playing games with authenticity. Take the whole of yourself to God. If you have secret sin, take it to God. He already knows about it. Take it to God. You have relationship problems? He already knows. Your neighbors know. It's not as big a secret as you think. Take it to God. Make me whole, Lord Jesus. I am undone. I'm a man of, stand with me all across the house. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm starting today by an authentic connection with you. I want to invite every one of you here today to make that commitment in this moment right now. In this moment right now, I want you, forget about everything else going on. Just focus your mind right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to be 100% authentic with you. In your own way, with your own words, focus right now heavenward, Lord Jesus. Transform us by your word. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.